Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of Talking Point. My name is Henry Valentine. Here is what's coming up on today's show. We take a look ahead to the Emilia Romagna Grand Prix at Imola. It'll be the first sprint qualifying race of the season, so we'll be taking a look ahead at that format. It's the start of the European season, so plenty of upgrades will be coming for the teams. We'll look at who should stand to benefit. And with another race weekend ahead, we should be looking at who should be in the running for race wins. Joining me to discuss everything Imola today is Planet F1's Oliver Harden. Ollie, thank you very much for joining us. How are you? I'm very well, Henry. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. So we've had a bit of a, a, a rare week without a race, so that should uh, be something to, to look forward to. Formula One is back in our lives. Are you looking forward to, to heading back to Wimbledon this weekend? I am, and, and it hasn't escaped my notice that, um, you know, of the of the emergency circuits that came onto the calendar a few years ago, um, Imola has almost done the, the last one standing. So, uh, it, you know, it, it does kind yeah. of symbolise all that's good about F1 in many ways. Uh, you know, the the, uh, the spring sunshine uh, and all the blossom. And, it's it, you know, obviously last season it was, it was miserable and sin in terms of the weather. So, well, it's meant yeah. to be this weekend as well, having seen oh, the it? sort of early forecast. Yeah, so we, we could well see the same again. So it's something to look forward to regardless, because we had a great wet race last year there, didn't we? It was, uh, yeah, it was really exciting to watch. But there's the added, uh, added thing of sprint qualifying this weekend, which will be making its uh, first appearance this season. And they had penciled in six races for, for sprints, but that got sort of negotiated down to three. Uh, it's been, you know, quite a divisive thing, sprint qualifying, hasn't it, in the sprint format? But there are a few changes that have been made this year, including points for the top eight now instead of the top three. And how do you think the, the sprint will go down this year? It's almost the second season of trying it, isn't it? Yeah, it's going to be very interesting with the new 22 cars. Obviously, there's been a lot of talk about that. They're more raceable than they used to be, uh, especially compared to last season. Um, I think people were very quick to reject it um, in 2021, but you do have to say it had an undeniable effect. All three of the races where it was used, at, um, Silverstone, Monza and Brazil, of course, when Lewis, uh, Lewis Hamilton came from the back. So it should be very interesting to see how the new cars kind of whether, whether the sprint format is kind of revolutionised by by the new cars. 
Yeah, because we saw in the sprints last year anyway, everything was kind of turned up because it was the one third race distance. And we almost saw the same kind of gaps between cars that emerged at the end of races as well, which you can tell, which sort of pulled down the curtain on what you could see um, the differences between the cars were almost really. But as you say, now that the uh, the cars are more raceable, uh, cars really have been battling quite a bit better this season, haven't they? So you you could imagine that this uh, this could end up being the uh, the sort of positive debut for for sprint racing that the sport had anticipated. Yeah, absolutely. It could really um, take it to another level. So uh, Lewis Hamilton was obviously the sort of standout uh, in the sprints last year, wasn't he? Especially at Interlagos. So that that's kind of the the blueprint they've been looking for here. Like you've like you've had a thought about the sprint format as a whole and how it can take its place in the sport, haven't you? What uh, like what are your thoughts about it so far? Well, yeah, as I say, it was. I think people were kind of quick to reject it last season. I think you know many people were, you know, rather than this uh, thrilling minute bonanza, and people were kind of a bit disappointed to see it was basically the first in of the race, twenty four hours uh, in advance. But you know, as I do, as I said, it's uh, it's had an undeniable effect in terms of you know, especially in, in Monza as well. I think Ricardo started in fifth, and I think the opportunity for two um, Grand Prix starts it kind it gives that opportunity to shuffle the pack because I don't think he'd have won necessarily won that race without the uh, without the sprint format. And likewise, you could say that about Hamilton as well, starting from twentieth in in the sprint, mm. and then that gave him ten places for the race as well. Yeah, he obviously had to take the uh, five place penalty as well for the. For the engine uh, change, had an extra line of intrigue, but yeah, it does it does kind of shuffle the pack slightly. I think if, if people kind of you know change their expectations of what of what what they want from the sprint race, I think it'd be much more popular actually. Yeah, and there's one thing that that we should mention within that as well is is the fan element. I quite I quite intrigued by Ross Braun's point last year of having sort of meaningful running in his weather all three days of action, and I I quite like that as an idea of um, being a fan there at the weekend, seeing something happening on all three days. So it'd be a standard qualifying session on Friday, the sprint on Saturday, and the standard Grand Prix on Sunday. And Ibola is going to be a, a sellout all weekend, which is already fantastic. So from a fan's point of view, how do you reckon that will affect things this weekend yeah it should it should uh, affect things quite quite interestingly you know uh, Imola, I, it doesn't really strike me as as the most ideal place to have a sprint race actually because in terms of you know action there are obviously a lot of fast corners but um and obviously there's a potential for, for problem especially with those gravel traps at the beginning of the lap um yeah in, in terms of the uh the fan aspect i think it's more interesting to watch you know more competitive action than than watching three drawn out long practice sessions leading up to qualifying yeah and now this season as well uh the official pole position will be the uh the fastest driver on friday instead of the uh the fastest driver in the race we're not going to go down that rabbit hole because that we could be there for hours um <laughs> uh, but for for friday's sort of standard qualifying session it <sighs> As you said, you know the Imola layout. It doesn't really particularly lend itself to that kind of racing, does it? Even though they have removed that final chicane and it's a longer straight. Yeah, the, obviously it's a very um, good DRS section with the, with the long kind of kink straight these days. Although it's obviously with the Russell and Bottas accident last year, there is a potential for trouble there as well. Um, so there are cars that could well sort of benefit from from the sprints at Alain McLaren at Monza last year but uh, things do go the other way too and uh, there were as with uh, as with any season the start of the European season uh, heralds the uh, the first upgrades that are being brought to the car as well which will be extremely interesting to watch considering the uh, the amount of stuff that needs to happen on plenty of cars up and down the grid isn't it I mean uh, Aston Martin are obviously the uh, the 
team that probably need to uh, to do the most to get back to the <laughs> get back well towards anyone really. But let's start at the front. Uh, Ferrari say that they're going to be upgrading their power unit uh, for Miami in a couple of weeks' time. But like, again, it makes you wonder how much more performance is in there considering they won uh, at such a canter last time. Well, yeah, if it ain't don't if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, comes to mind. I think they've obviously made an amazing uh, start to the season, um, and I think with with the layout, and I think with the condensed kind of uh, lead up into into the race with the practice sessions with the sprint, I think it, it will favour the cars with a slightly wider wider sweet spot uh, this weekend. And judging judging by Ferrari's performance in Australia, I think they they. Uh, a one place to continue their their good starts of the season. Yeah, exactly. They seem to have, um, you know, they seem to have performed well at all three circuits, and they're all sort of relatively different in the way they go about their racing as well. So that that does look uh, intriguing for them from their uh, from their first first few races of the season and uh, Red Bull have been challenging them and obviously those three three retirements in the first three races two for Max Verstappen are really not ideal for the start of the season but Helmut Marco has said that apparently they have now resolved the issue that, that Verstappen had and the uh, the engine that Verstappen had in Australia can be returned to the pool as well which is uh, which is really crucial for them as the season goes on isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. It's something they're going to have to really get on top of because there's already a massive gap gap to uh, to Leclerc in the in the standings for Verstappen. And I think with the um, with with the sprint format this weekend offering extra points, I think there's a chance that the the gap between Verstappen and Leclerc could could go up beyond uh, sixty points, more than two race wins. So that would leave them with a with a massive mountain to climb. Yeah, and uh, on Marco's point as well, it was, he sort of got confirmation from Honda as well. You know, uh, they are being sort of quite heavily involved in the Red Bull powertrains project this year as they transition to to doing their own thing, and uh, it's it's quite interesting to to hear him mention Honda outright instead of uh, his own Red Bull team so far. But uh, that engine has proven to be so reliable in the past few years, and for them to to have. Uh, such issues in the first couple of races of this year feels um, feels almost sort of wrong, doesn't it? Considering the form they had had. Yeah, they're obviously amazing last year. They went toe to toe with Mercedes and won. Um, maybe yeah, the, that the happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe the handover from um, Honda has been a little bit more troublesome than than first anticipated. Uh, let's move on to Mercedes now. They have comfortably been sort of the third fastest car, but at the same time, they are second in the constructors' championship, which you know they'd have absolutely taken at this point of the season, considering uh, how their year started. But they're not looking at supposedly bringing significant upgrades to Imola, um, as George Russell said anyway. But with those uh, those added data sensors that were put on Lewis Hamilton's car in Australia, I mean, added a bit of weight, but bringing much more data out of it. Do you reckon that will have uh, had an impact in sort of designing these upgrades that they're wanting to bring? Well, yeah, you'd like to think so. Obviously, they're going to take steps to, to kind of resolve the problems that they've had early in the season. Uh, the question, obviously, is how long is it going to take and will they still be in contention, um, you know, when they're in, finally in a position to fight again? The the upgrades, you know, they, they should hopefully solve it out because it would be better with, uh, you know, Red Bull, Ferrari and Mercedes uh, all fighting at the front. Yeah, absolutely. And their uh, their issues have mostly stemmed from porpoising, haven't they? So the thing that we've been hearing is that they've almost been running with a trade-off. Do you have more porpoising and in turn more car performance or less porpoising and uh, you know an easier ride for the drivers, really? Uh, so if they're, they're confident that once they find that solution, they can be right up there. And as you say, a three-way fight would be uh, would be massive for the sport, wouldn't it? Especially in this new era. Yeah, it's seen as a trade-off in terms of the porpoising. I think it's very, very easy to solve by simply raising the right height. 
but obviously yeah. that cost performance and it leaves you nowhere. So I, I do think there were signs, I think, in Australia that, that they were kind of finding a little bit of progress. I think obviously Russell and Hamilton had quite a few incidents across the weekend, maybe, you know, running wide here and there. But I think I think they were able to, you know, they were very comfortably, um, comfortably third behind uh, Mercedes and Ferrari in, uh, compared to, to Saudi Arabia when they're obviously struggling a bit more. So hopefully, yeah, they, they, it'll be a matter of time until they're at the front again. Yeah, they've got quite a uh, big gap to bridge, though. They've been sort of between eight tenths and a second off the pace in qualifying in the uh, in the first few races. So with, with the other teams upgrading, you know, their rate of development is going to have to be much, much higher, isn't it? Indeed, yes. And I think, uh, you know, the, the we, I don't think we can un- underestimate the effect of the, the reduced wind tunnel and CFD time this season in terms of compromising their ability to, to develop the 22 car and, uh, you know, the way it's performed in recent races. I think that switches at the beginning of June. And, you know, dependent on, on where people are in the, or where the teams are in the contr- in, in the championship at that point. So um, I would expect to see progress much more progress uh, from Mercedes from from that point. Yeah, absolutely. And the last team I wanted to mention in this is Alpine as well. Uh, they showed such pace in Australia through Fernando Alonso particularly, and uh, and they reckon that pace could well be here to stay. And they're going to <laughs> they're going to be bringing a new floor as well to to Imola, which is quite a significant step for them, isn't it? It is indeed, yeah. And they've they've, they've obviously made a, a very quietly effective start to the season. Obviously, in Lonzo, he was convinced he was uh, in contention for Paul in Australia prior to that, to that instant in, in uh, Q3. You know, it, it would create a nice season for Alonso, actually, especially if this is his final one. If he can be uh, snapping at the heels of the front runners, leaving leaving uh, some of the, the, the leading cars with a few bloody noses along the way, I think it, it would set up quite an interesting uh, kind of farewell season for him. Yeah, they said in the the first couple of races as well. Alonso said that the the pace in the car was sort of not necessarily hidden, but it wasn't fully on show. And uh, they did prove that in Australia. So if they get this uh, these upgrades right, and if they can sort of show the form that they did in qualifying in particular, they could they could actually end up uh, being in the mix this weekend. Yeah, and it, it, they they seem to have said um, they found they found a way to have turned the porpoising on and off, which yeah. uh, is very interesting. I don't know how they go about that. And yeah, they, of all the teams at the beginning of the season, so many of them seem to be kind of firefighting. I think Alpine, after a terrible start to pre-season in Barcelona when the car set on fire, they, they do seem to be quite effective at the minute, yeah. That's a good point, actually. You could argue, uh, probably between them and Alfa Romeo, they've probably had the, the two biggest turnarounds, especially from the start of the testing. Like, would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously, it was a disaster in testing. I think it was it was kind of quite quite well uh, disguised, their pace, because they, they were running very heavy. They obviously had the... The trouble with the DRS, where they couldn't use that for so many days, and they were quite a he- quite heavy car as well, I think. But yeah, they, they have been very, very quietly effective and just scoring points. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's now move on to some predictions for the weekend. Then we've uh, we've already touched on the fact that it could well be wet this weekend. That we saw such drama in the, in the wet in Imola last year, and uh, hopefully we don't see another sort of Bottas Russell esque uh, crash in there as well. But uh, assuming all being normal, it's going to be another sort of Ferrari Red Bull battle, isn't it? Yeah, I, I would expect uh, I would expect the vagaries of the the sprint weekend to, to favour Ferrari. And like I said, with the uh, you know the, the apparently widest sweet spot, I think that sets up Leclerc very very well um, coming into into the weekend with uh, Verstappen probably not far behind as usual. 
Yeah. What what have Carlos signs then as well? Because he has made no secret of the fact that he's been looking at ways to uh, to get on Leclerc's pace as well. And I mean, I, I don't want to say the sort of signs of panic are setting in, but because he's got such a deficit already, he's got he's got ground to make up there. So it makes you wonder how he's going to going to react this weekend. I think it's going to be very hard for him to stop um, falling into a number two role in, in sporting women. I think he's already he's already uh, quite some way behind Leclerc, as, as is everybody at this stage, to be honest. I do think you know the the more competitive card this season has allowed has allowed Leclerc's, Leclerc's class to um, to really uh, rise above uh, what science what science is capable of. Yeah, Mattia Bonotto did say that though that they're still going to remain free to race for now. But you know, if if push sort of slightly starts to come to shove, it does make you wonder if uh, if that's still going to be the case. It's probably a matter of time. Um, to be honest, I, I, I think they want to support Carlos because I think uh, he's a very popular member of the team. He's obviously, um, you know, aligned himself well since arriving from McLaren at the beginning of last season. But oh, yeah, beat Leclerc as well. Let's not forget last season. Well, he did, but only by a very slender margin. I think that there was a fair bit of luck involved because, okay, we can talk about uh, Leclerc's crashing. Monaco and ask if that is luck or judgment but I think the Hungary I think he'd been on for a very strong result in Hungary if he got through that first corner um, so I, I do think the fact that he, he outscored Leclerc last season is, is slightly misleading Sergio Perez ahead of Max Verstappen uh, not many of us would have predicted that but you, you can you can probably imagine there is only a matter of time before things return to type there as well with Verstappen coming out on top too well yeah I can't imagine them telling uh, Verstappen to support Perez's title challenge anytime soon well you don't know um, you don't know <laughs> yeah, well, maybe. Um, but yeah obviously Verstappen is not much faster of the two drivers there even though you know he hasn't had a pole position yet this season who'd have thought Perez would have would have um, scored a pole before him in, in, in Saudi Arabia but um, I, I would expect Verstappen to be pushing Leclerc all the way still yeah, and uh, the thing that's probably intriguing me most anyway is the sort of fight for best of the rest because uh, we've already touched on Mercedes and Alpine's upgrades and they've, um, you know, they're probably going to end up being fighting out for third. But I'm I'm intrigued as to where McLaren are going to fit in all this because uh, Lando Norris and Daniel Ricciardo both said that they reckoned that Jeddah and... Um, and Australia sort of suited their car more as well. And uh, we don't know where Emila fits into that, but I do wonder if they're just sort of quietly trying to to get that car back on pace again, you know? Yeah, it was, it was difficult to know where they stood after Bahrain. You know, obviously they flew in Barcelona testing, then all kind of fell apart. I do think their problems at the beginning of the season have been, have been very uh, closely linked to the problems with the brakes that they had in at the end of testing. And I think, I think Australia, there were different, definite signs of um, recovery there. Yeah, and, and Haas as well. They looked sort of a bit of a shadow of themselves in Australia than they did in the first couple of races of the season. But I think that speaks to a wider point of um, you've mentioned cars and sweet spots already in there. And if um, if Haas can find their sweet spot, they could probably get themselves back up there too. Yeah, they they uh, definitely have the driver and Kevin Magnussen at the beginning. I think he's, he's yeah. uh, made a terrific start to the season. It's almost as if um, he still can't believe how lucky he is um, to be to be back. I think I listened to him as his, uh Beyond the Grid podcast uh, appearance during the weekend. It's, it's just absolutely loving life at the minute. Um, but yeah, I, um, there, will, there will be an emphasis on Haas to get back back uh, back to form because they were strangely off it in Australia. 
Yeah, and good sign did they say that they'd be uh, they'd be careful with the upgrades that they're they're putting on the car this season. But uh, I quite like the way the sort of new dynamic has uh, has formed between Magnussen and Mick Schumacher because because uh, Magnussen did say recently that that Mick's not too in his words not too proud to actually ask for for advice because especially if you're coming in as a rookie or in your second season, I can imagine. I mean, if if it were me anyway, I'd probably be much more trying to sort of go about my business in my own way. But like, Mick doesn't seem to be taking that approach, and it seems to be paying off for them. Yes, um, I, there, there were signs of uh, pressure, perhaps in uh, Mick's shunt in in Saudi qualifying. But it does seem that they, you know, they're both good professionals. Obviously, Mick uh, comes from good pedigree. Uh, so does Magnussen. Yeah, comes just a bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, both of them. You know, they're both grown up around around this environment. I think they're both very professional and will get on the job and and work well together. Yeah. Uh, so, in a word, then, who's going to be your winner this weekend? I can't look beyond uh, Leclerc at the minute. Fair enough. Uh, and there was one point that I wanted to finish on as well, actually. Um, sort of looking at the calendar of the twenty-two races that that are uh, on the calendar, this is only the this is the penultimate weekend that's effectively a standalone weekend in Formula One. So having a week before and a week after, uh, so any every race beyond Spain is going to be as part of a double or triple header. Which for which for the team staff going around the world and everything, that that's you know that's really really demanding on them, isn't it? It's very testing, yeah. Um, but I, I suppose it's the, it's the kind of world that liberty of fashion now. You know, uh, every every race is an opportunity for them to make more money. And as as I think as Lewis Hamilton said at the beginning of uh, 2020, when COVID was just beginning to take take hold, cash is king. So uh, and and that does come at a, a human cost. Yeah, and it's it's hard not to to feel for them though because you know the, it's it's all well and good saying you know you live in the dream it's all it's all part of it why you know why moan but like, ultimately everyone deserves to to be able to rest and like, twenty two or even twenty three weekends of the year away from away from home which is you know a, a big thing for anyone really uh, with the with the travelling role and the the hours that they work uh, it does make you wonder about the, the schedule as a whole because uh, Lando Norris said recently that his idea would be sort of 18 to 20 races Zach Brown sort of proposed a solution of rotating uh, by having a sort of 20 or 21 race calendar and that that seems to be the consensus doesn't it just by dropping uh, just by dropping a few races off that'll just make the world a difference but you know the concord agreement does uh, does account for is it 24 25 races a year so <laughs> it does make you wonder if it's only going to keep going up really yeah maybe this is just the the new reality that people have to get used to i do wonder you know, Norris speaking out against it maybe doesn't spark this point, but you do wonder if, if uh, in terms of team staff, it's going to become a bit of a young man's game, whereas uh, people with uh, families and other commitments kind of, you know, do do find it as too big a stress and too big a uh, obligation to to travel around the world so many so many uh, weekends every season. Yeah, let's let's hope that's not the case. But I I, I quite like Zach Brown's thinking. You know, I mean, do do you feel the same that if uh, so, he called it A and B markets. So there are certain races that should stay on the calendar every year. But the idea of rotating to get the sport to as many places as possible, but while sort of keeping like keeping everything intact, I guess. I I, I mean, I kind of agree with him there. I think that's the best way forward. Like, what do you think? Yeah, th- I think uh, the. Paul Hembry, who used to run Pirelli, he came up with an idea a few years ago about separating the calendar into separate sections. So rather than going from Imola to Miami and then back to Barcelona, they would have kind of a European leg of the season, which we kind of already have. But to cram the American-based races and then the the Asian ones into into particular uh, parts of the year would possibly be a solution. Yeah, absolutely. But Oliver, thank you very, very much for joining me today. And uh, we will no doubt discuss things uh, once the race finishes on Sunday. Thank you.
And thank you to you for watching or listening to us as well. Make sure you head to planetf1.com for all your latest news on Formula One throughout the week. And we'll be with you on another episode of Talking Point after the flag drops in Imola. Sports Social Podcast Network.